This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Lucky you. Hello, and welcome to this mini episode of Big Mood, Little Mood. I'm your host, Danny M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Angelica Jade Bastian, a Southern-born critic and essayist for New York Magazine site Vulture. And now here we are reading a letter from a listener. So if you wouldn't mind reading our last letter. Uh, No problem. Our last letter is titled Hurt Vonnegut. Ah, Okay. And the letter begins, I have been married to Elle for five years. When we were dating, Elle often bragged about how fast they could finish a book. They had a competition with their friend Ash, where each would read upwards of 50 books a year. During this time, I left grad school and started a career in freelance writing. I had always dreamed of writing a book. And so when a paid opportunity came along, it was a no-brainer. The manuscript took about two years to complete. Elle agreed to read it and give me their feedback, but this proved to be a nightmare. Elle claimed to be reading it, but month after month made no progress, only excuses. This went on for a year. I was proud of my work, but their chilly reception left me feeling discouraged. I didn't do nearly the amount of self-promotion originally planned. I thought if my own spouse wouldn't read my work, why should anybody else? On the eve of self-publishing, I made my feelings clearly known. Elle finished reading it, but the damage to my ego was done. What's worse, now that the book is published, Elle is back reading books again. Whenever Ash or the books they're reading come up in conversation, it feels like ripping a scab off an old wound. In parentheses, did I mention Elle and Ash used to date? I adore my spouse, and I know this grudge doesn't serve me. How do I get over this? That parentheses is doing a lot of work is what I'll just start out saying. Yeah. Really yeah. interesting aside. Yeah. I. Um, it sounds like that's where a lot of the uh, intensity is coming from. Oh, yeah. And so letter writer, you know, you may very well at some point um, decide that one of your goals is to let some of your fears and insecurities go. And that would be fine. Um, the sort of language of like, this grudge doesn't serve me. How do I get over this? To me, the implication there is how do I rid myself of this feeling without going into too much detail with my spouse who I already feel kind of rejected by. Mm. And um, I don't think that, you know, just like white knuckling your way through this by yourself is going to be your best route ahead. Even Again, even if you decide some of your fears or insecurities are misplaced or that there are things about this friendship that you also want to respect, you do still, I think, need to find a reasonably healthy way to talk about this with your spouse. If only so, you both know, I have a sensitivity there. I have an insecurity there. I have a fear there. Um, not it's your job to fix, not you have to repudiate your friend, not you've done something wrong by caring about this friend of yours. Simply, we got to name it. Yeah. You can't handle the problem if you don't even have the gumption to name it. Like that's a there's there's something there. And if you don't, you know, at least bring it up, you know, and language you're comfortable with that, you know, just says there's a sensitivity here. And, you know, I felt a little hurt or whatever you feel comfortable doing. So at least it's on the table. I think it's going to be really important because the whole 
just focusing on how you're feeling isn't really solving the problem necessarily. Yeah. So, you know, w- with that sort of upfront that I don't think letter writer, your, your, your way through this is going to be just like, get over it on your own. Um, I, I do have a couple of thoughts, you know, I'll, I'll leave aside that line about Elle used to brag about how fast they could finish a book. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I mean, that feels like something a five-year-old would say, like, look at how high I can climb this tree. Look at how fast I can read this book. Okay. Like, great good for you. Like, read your books. That's fun. But like, all right. Speed reading is <laughs> not cares? necessarily, it's just, at, at most, it's like a slightly quirky thing. It's not like, wow, you must be a genius. Anyways, we'll just leave that there. That's not really Worry. I'm not too worried about negotiating that. You know, letter writer, I can really appreciate why it hurt that your spouse agreed to read the book and give you feedback and then just sat on that. That makes sense to me. That's really hard. But some of your own reactions to that, I think, have contributed to some of that sense of just like ongoing uh, rejection, which is just like, because my spouse didn't read this book, I decided not to promote it. And decided that if my spouse wouldn't read it, nobody else would, which, Mm. you know, again, I get that you felt hurt and rejected, but I don't think most people read books because of a, like, affinity for us. Like, most people read a book by someone they're not married to, you know? Uh, Most people read books by someone they've never met and never will meet. Most of the time they read a book because, you know, it catches their eye and is an interest of theirs or they're at a bookstore and they see an end cap or they're, you know, getting advertised something on online. So this idea of if my own spouse won't read this book, nobody else will. I think that's kind of the language of like self-pity, which is just like, I feel bad. I feel despondent. I I don't want to try when I feel despondent. So I need to come up with a reason for why this means that this project is stupid and pointless. And I don't say that to berate you, letter writer, just that one doesn't necessarily follow the other. Yeah, I I definitely want to back you up on that. Also, it just seems a bit self-sabotage kind of mixed up in there. I also agree that, you know, it totally sucks that your partner would not read something you put so much of your your heart and your time and energy into after agreeing to that definitely does suck. But it's okay. How do I say this without coming across like an asshole? How do I do this? Okay. I'll say this as a writer who writes a lot and sometimes, you know, very passionately about everything. I actually am totally cool with people who are in my life, not reading my work all the time or all that often, or like even ever, you know, like, That's also okay. Like, you know, I know that kind of sucks, but it's also okay if like not, but they're not talking about everyone in their life. They're really talking about this one person, which makes me wonder if they wanted friends. Like, did they, you know, do the same thing with friends and not get stuff back? Or is this just, you know, there's a wound there and that's this book is sort of bringing it up a bit more. Yeah. Uh, For the record, I think that that was perfectly kind. Um, I don't think that you were saying, you know, your work is bad and you shouldn't care about it or or you are unreasonable <laughs> and awful. Um, but yeah, I, I do think it is, again, it makes sense that it felt painful that your spouse kept saying, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. But I do think that generally speaking, when it comes to writing projects, you should think of them as it is a bonus if your partner or your friends want to read your work and really engage with it. 
It's not a requirement because I think otherwise you will feel pretty frustrated. And, and also simply because, it, you know, writing can be very personal or it can feel very personal, but it is not necessarily just like a little totem that represents you and somebody else's feeling about that particular project is a referendum on their feelings about you. And so I think it can help to take some of that away from it. Like this was also just a work project that you did. Um, it sounds like the paid opportunity came along like the project was already in existence. This wasn't like your memoir that you spent 10 years writing just your life story on, which even again, in that situation, that book would not be the same thing as you. But, uh, you know, I think maybe the way to go back to this is to say something like, I know that when we like talked about this on the eve of my book coming out, it went really badly. And um, I'd love to talk about it again. I would love to do so in a way that didn't end quite so badly. So maybe let's start with some curiosity, which is like, when I asked you if you would read it, did you feel like that was something that you could say yes or no to? Or did you kind of feel like, you know, were you stressed out? Like, you know, again, this it sounds like a lot of this was coinciding with the pandemic and like your partner wasn't reading a lot at all during that time. Like, were you just like overworked and didn't really know how to say so? Did you feel a lot of unspoken pressure from me that you had to love it? And so you were kind of worried about like, I mean, that's the other thing is like, if you want your the people you care about to read your work, are you prepared for them to say, I didn't like it? without collapsing or feeling awful. Because if they feel that pressure from you, they're going to avoid talking to you about it. Exactly. Exactly. That is such a good point. Yeah, you have to you have to be prepared for that also. Like, you can't necessarily expect that, you know, people in your life are going to love every bit of work you do if they do read it. Like, which is fine. You know, not everything's going to hit. Not everything is going to slap with everybody. It's totally okay. I think sometimes it's important as writers, artists, however you identify creatively, to sometimes like sever your ego from certain things. You kind of have to let like let go. When a piece is out in the world, it is out in the world. It takes on a life of its own. You kind of sometimes, even in your personal life, just have to step back from it. So if you get a nice little compliment from somebody and it's like, hey, hey, darling, I read that book it was hidden. Then it's like, oh, that's so nice. And if they don't say anything, it's like, whatever. Or if they say, oh, I didn't really like that last chapter. It's like, you can take it in stride, basically. Yeah. And none of that is to say, letter writer, that like you created a situation where your partner had no choice but to be evasive. So I, I want to be really clear, like, I wish Elle hadn't done that. I understand why that hurt your feelings. I definitely think in that conversation, after you ask some of those open-ended questions, you can also say, I really, it really hurt me that you just stopped talking to me about it and that you would give me pretty obvious excuses. I want to avoid that sort of thing in the future, you know, and hopefully your, your spouse would be able to say, you're right. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I should have done something else. But yeah, I just think if, if your sort of approach to writing is I need my partner to read it and love it and love it and understand it in some of the same ways that I do, that's not really a situation where somebody else feels free to say, I don't have the energy right now, but I still love you. Or like, I'm proud of you, but this isn't for me. Um, or to even potentially have a conversation about like, here were some things that I liked and here were some things that I didn't like. Because again, you may love your partner and not have the same taste in, in books or in writing. Um, yeah, and that exactly. again, does not mean that you don't love each other or know each other. Um, so I think it will help to just remove a lot of the um, sort of like weight that, that, it has picked up, but absolutely you should talk about it probably more than once, you know, try to approach it as like a sort of 
after the fact, you know, we're investigating what went wrong so we can avoid something like this again in the future. And then also letter writer, I think you should probably say something like this also brought up feelings for jealousy of jealousy for me about you and Ash. Maybe, you know, that'll be the first time you've said something about it. Maybe it won't be. Again, don't say it in such a way that's like, this is your fault. You must fix it. But name it. By all means, name it. And then you can figure things out. Yeah. Naming things is a sort of power. It helps sort of give you a sense of perspective. It can help something feel a lot less heavy than it actually may be, you know? So I think having that conversation is really important and just being open, a little vulnerable, but chill about it. Yeah. And look for other people, look for other writers um, Mm -hmm. whose feedback you value and who are interested in maybe like being in an occasional contact about reviewing each other's work. Like, Seek that out with with people who can engage with you on that level, who you do not live with or are not married to. You know, you can get that. Yeah, I think having a community of writers who, you know, you share work, you talk, you chill, you can kind of shoot the shit. I think that's really valuable. I mean, one of the things I'm most proud of doing in this pandemic was like in about April, I started a, a for lack of a better term, a writing hangout group where it's just a bunch of writers and critics would hang out every Friday. And now we do it like once a month because I just don't have the bandwidth, but it probably when winter hits is going to go back to every week again. But that was like a really good community and kind of showed me like how important it is to have other writers in your life who you can, you value and who value you and can give you feedback or a nice little pat on the back when you need it or, you know, because they'll probably understand in a more intimate fashion the dynamics of ego and writing and all that shit um, than your partner. And also, you know, partners don't have to be everything. Yeah. Because they can't. Yeah. I I felt like there was a little bit of that too, of like my partner reads a lot of books, um, but they didn't rush to read my book. And again, I get why that feels close to home, but it's also like, I like movies. There's lots of kinds of movies I don't like. They're just not to my taste. And so it wouldn't necessarily follow that, like, if one of my partners was like, I made a movie, I'd be like, oh, great. I love all movies. I'm going to love that. Like, you can love someone and be proud of the work that they're doing and be generally happy for them if it's meaningful to them. And maybe even think, like, this is good, but also not feel like, I love this. This is my favorite thing. And I wonder if maybe some of that expectation of if you love me and if you like to read or you like to read really fast, like. God, is there anything else that your partner likes about books? I'm sorry. I'm being very judgmental based on that one throwaway line. I am too. Like, are you getting everything from what you're reading or are you just like kind of breezing through? Like, I don't know. Some people really make a deal of reading fast and I'm like, I don't give a shit. Right. And like, I don't know, are all they reading like the seven habits of highly effective people and that sort of thing? Because in that case, (laughs) maybe that's nothing like your book or exactly it's just not as simple as you love me and you read a lot of books. Therefore, you must love this book project that I worked on. Totally. That's not how things work. Um, Life would be simpler that way, but not as exciting and weird. Um, Yeah, I think it's funny, like, when I think about these letters sort of collectively, I think there's so much that they have in common around the possibility of how do I care about myself and value myself Mm -hmm. without also thinking that I really need everyone to like me um, or for the people close to me to like my work in the same way that I do. Mm-hmm. And I think that can really lead to a lot of unnecessary like pain and distress of just like, oh, I won't be able to handle it if people aren't happy with me all the time. And it's like, 
I think it's less scary than you think it is. Or like maybe it will really be as scary as you think it is, but you will also survive. And then you will see that you do not actually need to base your sense of self on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's such an important lesson. One thing I've had to like really let go of as a writer and just human being is just like writing and existing from a place of uh, of hyper awareness of being perceived and how people perceive me. And like, you know, as someone who has gotten their fair share of heat online for things I've written, after a certain point, you kind of have to let go of it. You have to let go of all that shit. It, it doesn't serve you. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if you want to write something that is available for public reading, you know, people are going to have reactions to it that by definition you cannot control. And, you know, that's not to say like if everyone treats you horribly, that's on you. I just mean like some people might not give you the benefit of the doubt in the ways that you wish that they would, or they might not think about you in the way that you would like them to. But that is one of the things that you have to kind of figure out, okay, because I cannot control other people's reactions to me, especially at a larger scale, uh, what can I do instead? You know, one, one thing is to like read all of your reviews, kind of obsess about people that you think don't like you, try to speculate about their motivations, drive yourself pretty nuts. I think that I've never seen anyone do that in a way that seems like, oh, that seems like it's working for you. You seem well. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very much the opposite of well to me. That's kind of very unhealthy to kind of exist in that space. You have to let that go. It, you know, it's rough, but you do. Yeah, I know it can be easier said than done, but if the idea of somebody not loving your work really, really, uh, you know, deals a blow to your general sense of being on kilter. If a person can be said to be on kilter, I guess I, I only <laughs> ever hear of someone being off kilter. Um, then you got to find out, well, where else can I sort of stand? Uh, what's a better foundation for me than needing to be liked all the time? And sorry, cause that makes it sound like I'm being very hard on today's letter writers. I don't think they're no. all like desperate for constant approval. I just, I shared a certain uh, I, I seemed to sense a shared kind of hunger for that and a fear of mm -hmm. if I can't get that, where will I find myself? And I think there are better sources of uh, reliability. And I also found out that it's the Awana Cubbies, not the Awani Cubbies. They were real. They, they are a little real. religious religious scouting group for children, which is weird, but at least I didn't hallucinate it. You didn't hallucinate the kid cult. That's what yeah. I would call it. I'm not crazy. I was just in a tiny little group for religious preschoolers. <laughs> Creepy. Weird. Um, what was I, <laughs> I was going to say, you know, I'm a little different than the letter writers in the sense that sometimes it's kind of exciting when people have such a strong reaction to your work, even if they like hate it. Because I've definitely had some people come out the gate like really not liking things I write. And it's just like, oh, I struck a nerve. I'm glad it didn't just disappear into the ether like some reviews and criticism does. You know, it's better mm -hmm. to sh strike a nerve with people even if they're a little pissed. Whatever. Yeah. And and sometimes people who don't like you or your, your work can give you useful feedback or criticism. Um, so, you know, you don't have to seek out everybody else's opinion exactly. of you. But also sometimes if you can let go of that immediate sort of like flinch, um, you can also find something useful for you. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, one of the things that's also really just changed for me is, you know, I'll think like there were ways in which I have historically been more sensitive to that sort of thing. And it's just like, man, my mom hates me. Like, I'm not worried about some guy not liking my work. 
Yeah. My mom doesn't like me, you know, like does this rise to the level of like the woman who gave birth to me is now my like moral enemy? No, then we're good. Yeah. Yeah. I, (laughs) you know, I totally, totally get where you're coming from. I have a very similar reaction. I'm like, well, I have a absolutely abusive piece of shit father who like bounced and I have never, I don't even remember how he fucking looks. That's how early he bounced. And like a a really manipulative mother, like who who I'm trying to untangle myself from. So like if I have to deal with that, why the fuck would I give a shit about some motherfucker online telling me that I'm a disgrace to black people just because I didn't like the new Candyman or something? Um, you know, honestly, one of my favorite things to say, kiss my black ass. I really don't give a fuck. <laughs> Yeah, and this is not to suggest, by the way, to any of our letter writers, like, go get yourself some primal psychic woundedness from your yeah, family of origin that, and then actually. you'll feel great. <laughs> I, I don't mean that so much as just in the sense of if you can release that sort of fear that if other people don't like me in the way that I want them to, I won't be able to like myself or I won't feel okay, then you can take it more in stride. You can still certainly say like, oh, I, I wish that you had liked that piece or I wish that you would give me the benefit of the doubt. But also this happens. People do this. I will move on and continue with my own work. And sometimes you get better criticism than just like you're a bad person and sometimes you don't. And uh, screening is always uh, a critical skill to get to learn. Thanks for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you get a minute. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice and conversations and interview questions with our guests. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $1 for your first month. If you need some little advice or big advice and you'd like me to read your letter on the show, head to slate.com slash mood to find our Big Mood, Little Mood listener question form or find a link in the description of the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. Listening.